Uh, if you're visiting today, we've been going <clears throat> through the book of Romans, but you'll see that our text before us is uh, not Romans, it's Timothy. And there is a reason for that. We are about to ordain uh, Matt Curry into the gospel ministry. Uh, but before I read our text, uh, I was reminded, I was talking to John, uh, that we right now presently have five men who are in seminary out of Redeemer. Uh, we have two other men uh, who are, are over at Resurrection, who were here at Redeemer. Redeemer at one point, who are now uh, in the process of being ordained. Jared Bryant will be ordained soon. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, you've seen uh, the, the Terrells who are going to Spain and the G's uh, who graduated from here who are going to Japan as missionaries. Uh, we started this church to reach men and women with the gospel of Jesus to equip them and equip them to serve. And that's exactly what we're going to see in our text. So today we come to ordain Matthew. Uh, into the gospel ministry. And uh, so I'm going to preach a, a sermon briefly. Uh, and, then, uh, and then we're going to ordain him. And then we're going to rejoice in the communion together as believers. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're really wanting to know what it means to be a Christian, well, that's why we equip men to be faithful to preach to you. The resurrection of Christ, the only hope that we have. So, if you would, look in our text today. It's there in your bulletin. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wonder into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only for me, but also to all who love his appearing. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we are grateful for this occasion. We do love Matt Curry, uh, who came here uh, to our church uh, years ago as a college student, met his beautiful wife, Sarah, here. I think they actually proposed in this building, I believe. And now they have two children and you brought him back here to minister to our youth. And Father, he's worked hard over the years. And uh, Sarah has been uh, just a great partner in the gospel uh, to make great sacrifices to encourage him to fulfill his calling to be a minister of Jesus Christ. And we're so grateful for that. Lord, bless this family. We thank you for the way that you are using him in the lives of uh, not only our youth, but, but everybody in the church through his example and through his sound teaching of Jesus. 
And we ask these things in your name. Amen. It's a very important occasion. Uh, we're here to ordain Matthew Allen Curry and to set him apart through the laying on of hands uh, to the incredible privilege and awesome responsibility of being a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of times when people come to occasions like this, they think, well, okay, this is a religious ceremony. And it becomes more sentimental than what it is a worship service. And we see this all the time in marriages and in weddings. People become very sentimental about the wedding service, not understanding that it is a worship service. And so the wedding becomes about the couple or about the bride versus Almighty God who was there to hear those vows and to hold us accountable to the vows that we have made. And God is here this morning. Matter of fact, He is everywhere always in the fullness of His glory. But He's not obligated to reveal that glory. But this morning is here to bless our dear brother through the laying on of hands. For him to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this morning I want us to understand the importance of this because our faith is not subjective. It is historic faith that goes even before Christ's coming all the way back to the very beginning. And the laying on of hands we see in the book of Exodus, the setting apart of men because they are to be heralds of the historic faith, the true faith that God Almighty is a covenantal God and that we are either in Adam or we are in Christ and He is to be a herald of that gospel. So you know what I thought I'd do? It'd be good to take an opportunity to look at what a minister of the gospel should be. And the reason I titled it uh, the sermon Gospel Preachers is because there are many ministers who are not gospel preachers. Uh, they, they preach another gospel. In fact, that is exactly what Paul tells us in our text, that God's people will begin to gather around themselves people who would tickle their ears rather than coming straight at them with their absolute need for Christ and His work 2,000 years ago. And so I have um, five bullet points. Y'all know me. If you are a member here, I'd, I'd never use alliteration, okay? But I'm going to use it this morning because it just was right there in the text. And I've got five C's here. And you're thinking, five C's in 15 minutes. Well, you watch. Uh, there is the call of a gospel preacher. And then we'll see the challenge of a gospel preacher. I mean the charge of a gospel preacher. Then we're going to see the challenge that he has. And then we'll see the cost of a faithful man who preaches Christ. And then we'll see the crown for the gospel preacher. The first thing to see clearly from our text is the call of the gospel preacher. Notice what he says in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and our Lord Jesus Christ who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and His kingdom preach the Word. Paul had a calling. And his, the context of this letter is his calling was not only to Christ but to preach Christ. But it's time for him to move on. 
And thus Paul had been about the business and the apostles and, and faithful elders to equip the next generation. And so he is telling Timothy that he is to be equipped and he is to be reminded of the gift that God has given him through the laying on of hands. We see this in, in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. Apparently Timothy was timid about his own calling. And so Paul tells him, A, fan in the flame the gifts that God has given you. But remember that the visible church, the apostles, have laid hands upon you. And that should be the encouragement to you of what has happened in space and time to be faithful to preach this gospel. Now to appreciate a calling, there's, there's uh, two aspects of the call. First is the calling to Jesus himself. Now this applies to everybody in here. That Paul met Christ, Jesus, on the way to Damascus. He called him to be an apostle. And when he met Jesus, and we've talked about this many times, all the questions were off. He absolutely opposed the gospel. But when he saw Christ risen from the dead, it radically changed his life. He didn't begin to ask at that point, well, wait a minute, I have a few questions here. He met Christ. And so it is for everyone else who comes to faith in Christ. It's not just the teachings of Christ, but meeting Him as Paul met Him in person. To know Him. And so Paul is reminding Timothy that the charge is in the very presence of God, the God who's called you. Now one of the worst things that one can have is a minister who is unconverted. It's very hard to introduce someone to somebody you don't know. You don't, you don't introduce, I don't introduce you to my wife as, uh, well, here's the qualifications of my, my wife here. I introduce them to somebody I know, and when I talk to people about my wife, I'm speaking about somebody that I know intimately that I love and I cherish. So gospel ministers must be born again. And are there a lot of ministers who are not born again? Well, I'll tell you this. George Whitfield went up and down the coast preaching on the unconverted pastors. And of course he was rebuked by Jonathan Edwards for preaching that sermon. And so the first key is for a man to be called to faith in Christ. But there's a second calling though, and that is a calling to be a minister. But understand this, once you're called to Christ as a believer, and either you've heard, you've heard, you know who he is, or you don't. But when he calls you to himself, he calls you into his kingdom, and everybody in the kingdom has a calling beyond the calling to be musicians, to be doctors, to be lawyers, to be mothers, to be bricklayers. Everyone has a calling. But so does Matt, and so do ministers. And the calling has two aspects. Uh, first, there's the inward call. And, and the call, you know, I think God's calling me to be a missionary. In fact, uh, when my wife uh, suggested that I ought to be a, a minister of the gospel, um, 
that was the kind of beginning of it for me. I really had the outward call before the inward call, and I'll talk about the outward call. But the inward call is, is, is the, you, you sense that God is calling you to preach the gospel. And of course, I told my wife, if God is calling us to do this, we have to go anywhere in the world, right? We can't just go, well, I'd like to get back to Athens, Georgia, where the bulldogs are. <laughs> and it's awesome because God called me back to Athens. That's a great thing. But there, there, is, there, there, there is the inward call, that, that sense of, you know, I want to share Christ. But let me tell you what, for every man and for every woman in here, there ought to be that, when you meet Christ, that's the first thing you probably are asking. I have met Christ. Maybe I ought to be a missionary. Maybe I ought to be a minister of the gospel. And, uh, of course, so a lot of people, I mean, frankly, I think that there should be a sense of, man, I, I get the gospel. I want people to know the gospel. But not everybody's called to be a minister or a missionary or a preacher. And so there has to be the outward call. And the outward call is so important because the visible church, the elders, uh, and those who are wise begin to confirm to a young man his sense of calling. They see the gifts. He has the opportunities to teach. He goes through the rigors of learning Greek and Hebrew. And Matt has done that. What has it been, Matt? Six or seven years from the beginning. How many? His wife says seven. Okay. <laughs> and you know what? He's gone through the rigors. He's been to seminary. And not only that, but he had to give an account before our presbytery. For he's not only called by our church, but he's called by our denomination, the Presbyterian Church of America. And I will tell you this, that he passed his exams on this past Tuesday with commendation. And so now we're here to lay hands upon him, confirmed by the visible church, that this man is a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, there is the call of the gospel preacher. But then there's the charge of the gospel minister. A minister who is faithful to Jesus Christ and to Him alone. And what is that charge you see it in verse 2? Notice, what it, what, here's the charge of a faithful gospel minister. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience in teaching. That's quite a task for a sinful man to do these things. And what's the first thing that he has to do? He has to preach the word. Now, there are a lot of sermons that are out there today, and I can't remember my homiletics class. Maybe, Matt, you could tell me all the different kind of sermons. But I do remember two that basically get preached all the time, and those are subject sermons and topical sermons. And so you preach on a topic like love, or you preach on a topic like uh, mercy, or, and you spend several weeks, or direction for life. And, and, and rather than exegeting a text, we eisegete the text, and so the text is read but never referred to. Our tradition, the Reformed tradition, which we believe is the apostolic faith, falls from the tradition of the Apostle Paul that even though he met Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus, it was required of him to take three years to exegete the Old Testament. To see that the Old Testament was always pointing to Christ, the Messiah, that you need this morning. 
In fact, the word exegesis means to excavate. It's the word we get excavate, to dig out of. And faithful ministers do not give their opinions. They say, here is the text. They might interpret it wrongly. That's called hermeneutics. But faithful ministers of the gospel believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, infallible, and speaks to all of life. Calvin made the comment that the word of God is like a lion in the cage. All you need to do is let it out of the cage. Preach Christ. Calvin was so committed to exegesis, his... I was reading a book about him recently, a small, small book about him. And uh, it was about his uh, exegetical preaching. And he, he was preaching on 2 Samuel. And he got, to, for about eight or nine years, he preached from 2 Samuel you know, 1 to about chapter 18, verse 9. And then he got sick for two years. And then he came back after two years. And guess what his next text was? 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 10. Because the word of God is powerful. But not only is he to to, uh, preach the word, he must uh, reprove. And the word there in the Greek for reprove is the word to convict. He must take the word of God and use it to bring men and women under conviction. And one of the difficulties in our country today, and I, I, you know, I don't know why the gospel is leaving America, is it's hard to get people to understand the nature of their sin. There's too many distractions. William Barclay said this, Somehow or the other, the sinner must be made to feel disgusted with his sin. The first essential for a gospel preacher is to compel a man to see himself as he is. John Calvin said that there's two knowledge that men must have to function in reality. One is a knowledge of God and the other is a knowledge of self. And he said which one comes first is hard to say. But he did say this. What man does not remain as he is, indeed what man will not remain as he is, as long as he does not know himself. As long as he does not know himself. We are deceived and it is the minister's responsibility to reprove to use the word of God to convict men that they need a Savior. And then he is to rebuke. And the Greek word for rebuke means rebuke. I often tell people I get paid not to preach but to rebuke. And there's a wonderful story about Ambrose who was one of the bishops in the 3rd, 4th century. And he was a good friend with a Emperor named Theodosius, who was a Christian emperor. But there was a time there where Theodosius kind of went off the tracks and he got very angry at a particular group of men and so he had them all slaughtered. And so when he came back to church, the word came to Ambrose and Ambrose said, "Ah, you can't come back here. You need to repent. And so Theodosius said, well, okay, I I repent. He said, no, that's not repentance. And so it took eight months and Theodosius would come to church and Ambrose would not let him come until he finally laid prostrate before Ambrose, before the Lord and before that congregation to repent of his sin. Now friends, we're sinners and we need to be rebuked, don't we? 
Uh, I'm so thankful for a gentleman named Scott Bryan. I think I've mentioned Scott before. Oh, he's also, by the way, another. Uh, he's now a minister of the gospel in Philadelphia. Brian was on. Uh, uh, st- I mean, Scott was on staff here, and uh, Scott. I always called him our poster boy for Redeemer because he was such a godly man, and um, and he was uh, he was on staff during Mercy Ministry here. And anytime Scott would say, "Hey, Hal, I need to talk to you a minute. Could you come to my office?" I knew I was getting ready to be rebuked. And so I'd come into his office and say, okay, Scott. He'd say, look, you know, I love you, brother. I've got a board in my eye, but you didn't handle that situation well. You spoke too harshly to that person. And I think because of his rebuke, I became a better minister. I became more compassionate. And so faithful ministers are always rebuking people in love to confront them with their sin. Does anybody here need to be rebuked? Heck yeah. That's what a faithful minister does. But not only that, not only is he to reprove and rebuke, but he also says that he is to exhort. And you know what the word there means? Encourage. Let me tell you what should happen every Sunday when we come in here. I, as a minister of the gospel, must preach the law in such a way that your sin comes alive again. So that you see that there's nothing you can do but flee to Christ. The fresh waters of Christ raise on your behalf. And those waters begin to fill you and flow over into other people. But you must be encouraged that Christ is with you. He is for you. Faithful ministers of the Gospels never preach a half a gospel. They preach the law and they preach grace. To preach the law without grace is misery. To preach grace without law is license. And then Paul ends his section to Peter, where, Timothy, where he says uh, that a gospel preacher must do this with patience and teaching. And the, and the Greek word here for patience is a wonderful word. It's the description of a person who never gets irritated, never despairs, and never regards any man beyond salvation. Richard Baxter put it this way, every time we look, he's talking about ministers, upon our congregation, let us lovingly remember that they are purchased of Christ's blood and therefore should be regarded by us with the deepest interest and the most tender affection. So the call, the charge, and the challenge, and what is the challenge? Verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off in the mist. Look, Paul understood that that apostasy would always come. Heresy is always going to be there because Jesus said that. That among the sheep, there will be wolves in sheep's clothing. And so... Paul's warning to Timothy is that these folks are going to want to do that. And so what is, what is the idea of, uh, of uh, tickling the ears? Well, it's, it's the idea that let's not just make the cross central because you see the cross is always saying to everybody, you're bad and you need Christ. You ever talk to people that love to talk about anything other than Jesus? Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about Noah's Ark? 
Well, uh, how about Adam and Eve? And uh, okay, what about Cain? Where did he go? You ever went that one? Where did Cain go to find that wife? You ever went? And people love to talk about that. Matter of fact, when I was a, uh, a student uh, in college, I worked one summer in a roofing company. Uh, in a roofing company, and we would drive, you know, two hours in this uh, cab with guys that were just absolute wild and crazy. And they had no interest in Christ, but they knew that I was a believer. And I've been a Christian a couple of years. And uh, so one day they want to talk about second coming. I'm a pre-mill, post-mill, all-mill, post, you know, all the other mills, right? And so finally I just said, well, why, why are y'all interested in that? Because you're going to show up one way or the other. And do you know him? Do you know Christ? Guess what happened to all the conversations? They're done. He must understand that there will be opposition, that the church will have people that don't want to constantly hear about their sin and their need for Christ. And then, of course, there is the cost of the, the gospel preacher, verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Um, yeah, there, there's going to be suffering, he says. And, uh, and, and therefore, there needs to be a sober-mindedness. Let me tell you, a, a minister of the gospel, uh, whether it's Palmer Robertson, uh, he's known the Lord for a long time, I'll tell you what I bet he's aware of and I bet what Matt is aware of and what John is aware of. It's what John McNamara said who was the Secretary of Defense under Kennedy and I think under Johnson. He made the comment one day. He said, every day we wake up, we go to the brief room and we're aware that two-thirds of the world has had a head start thinking about how to destroy us. We read a couple of weeks ago in Romans, wake up! And so it is a minister to be, he is to be sober-minded. To know that there is a real enemy called Satan who will deceive the masses. And he must be aware and preach Christ. You better be sober-minded, period. But especially the minister of the gospel. And then it says he must endure suffering. And you know, I don't know what all the sufferings are. I'll tell you what I think it means is you know what, when God says it's time to suffer, you will, whether you're a pastor or not. God is the God who brings dancing, but he also is the God who brings mourning. He's the God who brings laughing, but he also is the God who brings weeping, and that's part of our lives. And a gospel minister will submit to that. And then, finally, there's the call, the charge, the challenge, and the cost. But there's also, he talks about the crown of the gospel preacher. That's what he says here in verse 6 and following. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering in the same time, in uh, 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 the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight and finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is, um, uh, there is, I can, let me read my, my glasses here. There is, what's that say? Oh, aid for me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let me tell you what a gospel minister is. He is a man who understands, he has an eternal perspective. He sees this world for what it is. He doesn't use his office for comfort. He doesn't use his office for prestige or for the bully pulpit. He's not preaching about social issues. 
He's preaching about Christ. But the fact is, he has an eternal perspective. And the crown that he desires is not the crown uh, of uh, accomplishment as much as the crown of righteousness. Where he'll no longer be a disappointment. But he'll be a man who, as Baxter said, is a dying man who is preaching uh, to dying men. He's already seated with Christ. He's a dead man preaching the gospel. He's alive unto God. I, um, I read, uh, in conclusion, I, I read a, a story here recently, and I don't think I've told this one, but uh, of a missionary who, who uh, had been in, uh, I think, Africa, Dr. Robertson, for 20, 30 years. It's back at uh, the turn of the century. Um, and he and his wife were on the way back from their years there, and there was not a lot of fruit. There wasn't, at that time, the, the, the fruit. There was the plowing. And he was already discouraged, and uh, they were pulling into the New York Harbor. They had passed the Statue of Liberty, and, and they're pulling in. And when they're pulling in, uh, Teddy Roosevelt was on that air, the, the liner with, with them. And he was coming back from some diplomatic uh, uh, occasion in England. And as they're, they're pulling in, here's the banners. Welcome home, Teddy. And the band is playing. Then there was a parade. And he turned to his wife and he said, there's no parade for us. No banners for us. No crowds uh, ready for us. And his wife, she said to her husband, well, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. You know one thing I hope I have when I go to heaven? is my weekends. But you see, the minister of the gospel who's faithful, he's seated with Christ. And he preaches to people, knowing that his labors will one day be over. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to lay hands upon Matt, we ask that you would bless this service of ordination. Bless our communion as we sup together with Christ. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.